Bible, um, just put your hand in the air and the guys will bring one to you. Uh, the title of today's message is Paul's Powerful Prayer. There was a woman named Henrietta Green who was also known as Hetty Green. She holds the reputation for being the world's greatest miser. It's said that when she died in 1916, that uh, at the age of 81, her estate was worth about $100 million. It's estimated to be about $2 billion in today's resources. Yet, Hetty was such a tightwad that she refused to even turn the heat on in her own home. And uh, her house uh, never used hot water, just real tight. Um, people that, that worked in the building that, that she had an office said that she smelled because she wouldn't bathe properly with hot water. Um, when Hetty's son Ned broke his leg, she tried to admit him into a free clinic and they, they knew who she was and they, they wouldn't let her do that because of her wealth. And so she took him home and decided that she was going to treat his injuries herself which actually eventually led to Ned's leg being amputated because of her refusal to spend money on him. I mean, this is the ultimate cheapskate. And, and so when you think about Hetty's life, it really is equivalent to the life that is lived out by many Christians today. Our accounts are, are full of spiritual wealth that we never pull from or draw from, the, the spiritual pantry is stocked with all that we need, and yet we spend our days starving and wanting. The first 14 verses of, of Ephesians 1, Paul laid out for us in, in our study in, in actually one long sentence. You realize that Paul is the master at run-along sentences. Uh, the first 14 verses is one long sentence. Um, but in this, he lays out for us who we are and what we have in Christ. Uh, we are rich in Christ. We are chosen. We are holy. We are blameless. We are loved. We are predestined to be adopted as sons and daughters. We are uh, full of his grace accepted in Him, were redeemed in the blood of Jesus, forgiven of all of our sins, even given a, a foretaste of heaven through being sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so 
Paul lays out these extensive blessings, the, the riches in Christ that we have, and the extensiveness of our blessing. It's astonishing to say the least. And, and Paul has spelled out for the Ephesians and for us as we read, uh, to know and live according to this spiritual wealth. And as he continues now in this next section of chapter 1, he, he does it with a powerful prayer for the Ephesian believers. So let's pick it up in verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, and, and, and so he begins this section with therefore with the the understanding of this spiritual wealth that, that he has laid out for them. Paul says something uh, admirable here. Now, after a year and a half of being in First and Second Corinthians and listening to how they had failed time and time again, and uh, you've listened to me teach about the many rebukes that have come against the Corinthian church, and uh, it's refreshing to be able to look at a church that was actually getting something right. And, and Paul has these admirable things to point out about them. And, and so Paul is commending them for their response to the wealth of blessing that, that God had poured out upon them. And, and their, their faith, he says, was evident. He, he was made aware of how their faith had had become action in their life, that their faith produced action that, that brought uh, glory to God and, and brought others into the kingdom. Uh, it was demonstrated by the love that flowed from them. And folks, this is how Christians are supposed to be known for our love. Jesus said this to his disciples in John 13, 34 and 35. He says, And a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you were my disciples, if you love one another. And that's the, that's the trademark of our Christian life, is that others would see the love that we have for one another. And uh, uh, the Ephesians had this distinction happening in their church uh, they were known for love, and it was uh, effective in their ministry to the surrounding regions. And if you if you look at, at church history and look at some of what Paul has has written about the Ephesians, um, the gospel had gone out from the Ephesians after uh, they received Christ through either Apollos's teaching or uh, when Paul came along and preached. They they took heart or took to heart the message and and it became evident in their lives and the love that they had and and they began to preach the gospel and and because of this the gospel went out from them and it was very believable by the surrounding regions and it was because their lives and testimonies lined up with their message may it be so for us what, what an awesome thing for a church to be known for. Not, not our preacher or not our worship ministry or not uh, our children's or youth programs, but to be known for our love, for the, 
for each other and for those who would come into our midst. We're going to have far greater effect on the world around us if we're known for love. And, and so Paul recognizes this. He, he commends them for it. And he still senses a need to intercede for them and to pray for them. Verse 16, he continues, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And so this, this intercessory prayer that Paul has is filled with thanks for what's already taking place in their midst. And, and he's interceding them uh, for them every chance he gets. Why, why is that necessary? Well, he didn't want them to lose sight of the blessings that they had of knowing Christ. It's easy to do that. It's easy to lose sight of this. I think too many Christians have, have lost sight of this and they've, they've re- never even read the bank book to know the wealth that they've, they have. Many Christians are like um, William Randolph Hearst, who you may remember was a wealthy newspaper publisher. And one day he, he found this description of some item that, that he thought would be a great thing to, to have as a, a part of his uh, resources. And so um, he sent out one of his agents to hunt down this item and spent thousands of dollars looking for this item only to find that it was in one of his own warehouses. Mr. Hurst had been frantically searching for treasures that he already owned. Church, the entire record of our wealth is found in the Scripture. And unfortunately, many Christians never read the book. They never spend time addressing those things that are accounted to them because of their faith in Christ. See, we find out how much value we have by spending time reading and studying God's Word, the Bible. I want to encourage you. Hector mentioned in the announcements that we, you know, we have this daily manna that we give you every month to read along with us. It's a way of reading through the Bible in a year. Um, that way the whole church is reading the same thing. We can talk about it amongst each other. It's just a great way for us to encourage each other in the Word. And if, if you haven't started that, I, I encourage you to consider that because it'll keep you involved in the Word of God. And if you think, man, that's just way too much reading, I can't do it. Read the New Testament portion at least, but start taking in that information about the blessings that are in your account because of Christ. And, and so Paul is praying for them, and we see next he begins to lay out for them what his prayer for them looks like in verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And, and so he prays that the Lord would give them a spirit of wisdom. The word in the original language is Sophia. I like that. My granddaughter's name is Sophia. Wisdom. Um, but, but here in this phrase, spirit of wisdom, it means more than earthly wisdom, more than human wisdom, more than knowing if I should invest or I should sell my house or I should get another job. It's not that kind of wisdom. 
This is a, a spiritual wisdom. And God's wisdom doesn't come from just this, you know, sudden impression or revelation out of nowhere. You're not going to find it in a Dear Abby column or a psychology book unless they accidentally say something that aligns with Scripture. God's wisdom comes directly from God and is revealed to us in His Word, especially uh, it especially centers on the knowledge of Christ. In the Colossian letter, Paul wrote this in Colossians 2. Verse 2 and 3 says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They're hidden in Christ. They're revealed to us through the Word of God. And so he prays for them to continue in this spiritual wisdom. That the, the spirit of wisdom would, re, would lead them to revelation and the knowledge of God. Revelation. That, that word means to peel off the cover, to look inside. You know, as we, as we begin to study God's Word and to uh, read the Word of God for ourselves, it, it peels back the cover, so to speak, and, and we can see more clearly who God is and who we are in Him. You know, as we, we study the Word, we see the true Jesus. And, and through seeing Jesus, the Father is revealed. In John chapter 12, verse 44 and 45, it says, Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in Me believes not in Me, but in Him who sent Me. And he who sees Me sees Him who sent me. As we, as we see Christ, we're going to see the Father revealed. In John 14, 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. In Philippians 2, verse 5 and 6, Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And then in Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. When, when we read His Word, we see Jesus, and in that, the Father is revealed to us. That, that understanding of who God is is shown to us. The cover is peeled back. And, and so this was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, that, that through wisdom, through the revelation that they would have the knowledge of God. And the word for knowledge there in the original language is epigenosis, and it, it means exact or full knowledge, discernment or recognition, expressing a fuller or full knowledge, a greater participation by the knower in the object known, thus powerfully influencing him. Knowledge. Knowing God. That's essential. For every one of us. This is mankind's greatest achievement, is to know God. To have that, that knowledge, that personal experiential understanding of God. Listen to the wisdom of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 9. 
Verse 23 and 24, he says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That's, that's the greatest thing that we can do in this life is to know God. Now, if you, if you study psychology or philosophy, you're going to be led to believe that the most important thing for man to know is himself. It was Plato who said, know thyself, as if that was the greatest quest that a man could have is to know myself. Self-awareness, as, or as Maslow put it, self-actualization is supposedly the, the key to peace and happiness. I had news for you. If you stare at your navel long enough and you start looking deep with inside you, you're going to get sick at what you see. Because there's nothing good inside of there. Knowing yourself is only going to discourage you because you're going to see how horrible you really are. And so, as, as man would say, knowing thyself is the key to happiness and peace, not so according to the Apostle Paul. The key to peace in this life and making sense of the chaotic world that we live in is not to know thyself, but it's to know God. You've seen the bumper sticker, no God, no peace, or the K-N-O-W God, and no peace. If you know Him, you'll really know peace. If you don't know Him, you won't have peace. I don't care how much you look into yourself, you're not going to come to a peaceful conclusion. It's knowing Him. And, and this, this is the ultimate prize, the, the secret for which these propeller heads that have gone into philosophy through the ages have longed for. They just missed it. It's the knowledge of God, not self. Moses, in an intimate conversation with God, said, show me your glory. I want to know him even better. King David wrote the following in Psalm 42. Verse 1 and 2, he says, As the deer pants for the water, brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? That there's this, this thirst and hunger to know Him. Augustine, in the fourth cent- he was a 4th century church leader, wrote, in uh, this in the confessions about knowing God. You called, you cried, you shattered my defenses or my deafness. You sparkled, you blazed, you drove away my blindness, you shed your fragrance and I drew in my breath and I pant for you. Church, these were all people who wanted to know God in a deeper way. They weren't content just knowing about him or listening to somebody who knew him. They wanted to know God personally in the depths of their soul. Their goal was to know him intimately. Folks, our Christian life must be centered around that purpose. To know God as he is in truth, as revealed to us through his word, to correct all of our false and idolatrous 
ideas of what we would make God out to be. We let His Word describe who He is. And through wisdom and through revelation and the knowledge of Him given to us in His Word. His Word. Let me say it again. It's in His Word that we find this. The Bible that you have in your lap this morning is where you find this understanding of who God is. Let that sink into your soul. J. Vernon McGee relates a story in his commentary about this. Uh, it's a story about um, Dr. Harry Ironside, who's actually another great uh, commentator on the Bible. Um, but, but Ironside had the occasion to spend some time with a, a preacher from Northern Ireland. This man had come to stay at Ironside's parents' home. In his last days, he had a terminal illness at that time of tuberculosis and um, you know, it was early on in the, the time when tuberculosis would actually take your life automatically. And, this, and, and so in his final days, he was living in a tent in the backyard of Ironside's parents' home. And, and he had been, this man had been used mightily in the Scriptures in his life, a powerful expositor of God's Word. And so Ironside would go and he would just meet with him and he would sit and, and talk about the Scriptures with this guy. And... and uh, uh, one day this guy just shared something really insightful and amazing. And Ironside said, well, where did you get this information from? How did you get such insight on the Word of God? Where did you learn it? And this was his answer. He said, I didn't get it by going to seminary because I never went to seminary. I never learned it by going to college. No, uh, no one particularly taught me. Rather, I learned these things on my knees on the mud floor of a little sod cabin, cottage in Northern Ireland. There with my uh, open Bible before me, I used to kneel for hours at a time and to ask the Spirit of God to reveal Christ to my soul and open the Word to my heart. He taught me more on my knees on that mud floor than I could ever learn in all the seminaries and colleges of the world. It was just spending time in the Word of God, spending time asking God to, to make the word, the word come alive in your soul. Such hunger for God's Word. Lord, please, give us that hunger for Your Word. Yeah, I'm so blessed to, to hear the reports from my wife about our women's uh, Bible study this past year, and she's so excited about it. She tells me about it all the time. But but many of the ladies they're they're actually taking the the daily manna that that I just encourage you to read. They're they're going through the one year Bible. It's the same reading plan, and uh, they call it the Bible bus stop. And uh, they just take that week's portion of reading, and they're going through it together. And and it's been encouraging the ladies to get into the Word of God for themselves. And, and Daniil has, has had report after report from ladies who, who have said, you know, I've been reading the Bible for 10, 20, 30 years. I've never read the Bible like I'm reading it today. I've never taken in understanding like I'm taking in today. And it's simply an encouragement to sit before the Lord and let the Lord, through His Word, speak to you. No outside sources, no workbooks to go through, just the Bible. And what a what a blessing 
ladies, you can, you can jump on the bus in the fall. They're going to continue with that, that format. But see, this is the deal. The Bible is enough. It's enough. His Word brings revelation of Him through wisdom that, that we may know Him intimately. And knowing Him is the primary need of every one of us. And, and so Paul prays for them that they would have this wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of God. And he continues his prayer in verse 18. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints. Do you know your understanding has eyes? That seems pretty weird to think about. You know, we, we read this text. What does it mean, eyes of our understanding? Well, it means being able to see beyond what your natural eye can see. You know, I, I have a little bit of understanding about this. When I, when I went through uh, the Sheriff Academy and became a deputy I had to learn how to see things differently. And, and I had to have a different set of eyes. If I was going to stay alive and be safe on the street, I had to think and look at things differently than I did when I was a civilian. When I just, you know, when I'd roll into a restaurant, I would just sit down and eat. Now if I go to a restaurant, if you actually go with me, you're going to find that I have my back to the wall and I'm looking at the door. And it, it's just another way of, of being safe and looking at things that's automatic for me. Um, when I drive into the parking lot, I look at the way the cars are parked. I look to see if there's anything out of line before I walk in to the restaurant. Just because my eyes see things differently. Now, it troubles my wife, but it's just part of life now. And, and so, um, you know, you, you can develop a different set of eyes. And that, that came through the training in the academy, my field training officer pounding things into my head. And, you know, just different things to look at. Well, in, in a spiritual sense, it's getting past the, the mind and, and having a heart that understands the things of God. As far as spiritual knowledge is concerned, no person can understand apart from the Spirit of God, but, but it has to get past the brain and into the heart. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, it says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So it goes beyond the eyes to the heart. The heart is where understanding and actually salvation takes place. Paul described this to the Romans in Romans 10, 9 and 10. He said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, pass your mind into your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now Paul has, has already written to them about the, the treasures of the, the blessing of being in Christ. And, and now he prays for them to understand this to the depths of their being. 
And he begins to list more of the treasures of understanding. He says here, the hope of your calling. Realize that in Christ, you have a magnificent, a glorious calling in Christ. You've been chosen. You've been adopted as his child. That makes you a joint heir with Christ. How awesome is that? A joint heir with Christ. You could be president of our nation, have all the power associated with that. Power that men and women are going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to to get that job and that power. You could have all of that. You could possess all of that and it would be a step down from who you are in Christ. We have the highest and greatest calling known to man. In Christ, every one of us is somebody exceptional in Christ. But do you really know it? Paul prays that they would know it, that we would know it. The second thing is the riches of His glory. And again, Paul prayed for them to understand the wealth of their spiritual account. Our riches are found in His, in his glory. Wow, consider His glory. Remember Moses, when he asked to see the glory of God, God said, you, you can't contain my glory. I'll, I'll let you see the, the, the tail of my robe. He'll, he'll just let you see the backside of Him. Because that's all you contain. You can contain. And we consider His glory and know that we can draw from this account that that the riches of His glory are deposited into our account. And we can draw from this account for our life today. And the third thing He prays for here is the inheritance His inheritance in the saints. Do you realize that you're God's inheritance? That's a pretty weird thing to consider, isn't it? Over in Matthew 13.44, Jesus describes this to us in a parable. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Now in that culture... If a man had a treasure and he he buried it into his land and he died and that nobody knew it was there, that treasure would just stay in the ground until somebody stumbled across it. Now, if you happened to be the one who stumbled across that treasure, you would sell everything that you have in order to buy that piece of property. Why? Because you like the property? No, because you want the treasure. And and so... um, God gave His Son, Jesus, in payment. He gave all that He had for the world. But not not for the world's sake, but for you and me, His treasure. We are His inheritance. We become His. We're His treasure. He gave everything so that He could possess the treasure, you and me. Let the eyes of your understanding process that this morning. You're God's inheritance. Wow. That's a, that's a powerful thing to consider. Continuing in his prayer. 
for God to open the eyes of their understanding. He goes on in verse 19. He says, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, that every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. God, please, open the eyes of our understanding to this truth. Paul wanted them to know the exceeding greatness of power toward those who are Christians. This great power, the word is dunamis in the original language. It means miraculous power, explosive power. This power is available to every believer's life It's the same power that brought Jesus up out of the grave. It's that resurrection power that that caused Jesus to come from the grave back into life. What does it mean for us today? Well, if you sit and talk with Christians as I do from time to time, you'll hear many who will say things like, you know, my, my temper seems to control me. I can't seem to stop myself from my explosive personality, you know. I have no self-control. Others will say, you know, I I don't want to drink or do drugs, but I just can't seem to get a grip on this. I can't stop. I keep going back to these vices. Others will say, you know, these, these lustful thoughts will... They just never seem to leave me, and I I, I can't help myself but go to the Internet. Now, in response to that, Paul wouldn't just pray, Lord, give them power over their sin. He would pray, Lord, help them to see the power they already have in their lives. That explosive power, that resurrected Christ from the dead is already in us. Lord, open the eyes of our understanding to what Paul is praying here. That this power is toward the believer. It's in our lives. Not because we're worthy of it or deserve it. It's part of the riches that are available to us in this life. The wealth that we have in Christ. Romans 6.14, it says, No for sin shall not have dominion over you. May we know the greatness of this dunamis power and let it break the chains of sin and destruction in our lives. May we come to grips with the truth of His Word over what we can see with our natural eyes. Alexander McLaren writes, How do we know power? By thrilling beneath its forces. In other words, you you learn the power of the ocean by standing in the force of its waves. You'll know the power of God by standing in it, knowing it experientially, knowing Him, epigenosis, that experiential knowledge of Him. And he further clarifies this in these final verses. He says, And He put all things under His feet, 
and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. John Corson said this in his commentary. He says, all things are under his feet. What things? Dominions, powers, addictions, problems, pornography, profanity, gossip, depression, meanness, temper, sadness, laziness, whatever it is you can't get over. But my problem is so overwhelming, you say. It couldn't be more overwhelming than the waves threatening to drown the disciples, yet even the waves that rolled over their heads were under Jesus' feet. The very waves He walked on to go to meet with His disciples. Folks, His divine power is directed toward those who believe. Do you believe? If not, you have to ignore everything that would compel you not to believe. Doubt, fear, skepticism, worries, lies. You have to make a choice to believe in spite of those things. If you're not a Christian yet, I'm, I'm going to be giving you an opportunity in just a moment to receive Christ as your Savior. You have to put all of those distractions that would cause disbelief aside. And you have to choose to believe. This wealth of power will be available to you in Christ. If you're already a believer, stop being a heady green. And treating your spiritual life as a miser. Jesus has given so much in order for you to be free from the grip of sin and death. Live in that abundant life that He has given to you today. John 10.10 says, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. That's the promise that we have in Jesus. That we can rise above. And, and so ask for the eyes of your understanding to be open with the spirit of wisdom, the hope of your calling, and His inheritance in the saints. Let Him break the chains of sin and destruction today. If you're a follower of Jesus, let, let the, the Word of God encourage you in these. You know, these, these people in, in Ephesus weren't uh, failing. They were succeeding. They were having an effect. And Paul still sensed the need to pray that this would continue, that they would be built up, that they would be encouraged. They would have that wisdom and revelation and knowledge of God continue. May it be so for us today. Maybe you're, you're not going through a season of, be, season of being defeated. You can still be encouraged by this today. Take hold of His Word. Take it to heart. To the depths of your soul. Again, for you 
who may not have received Christ as your Savior. This is a, this is a great opportunity for you to come into that wealth that, that we've talked about, that spiritual wealth, to have it deposited into your life. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that Jesus, when He died, He paid the price for that sin. And as Paul said, if we believe this in our heart and we confess it with our mouth, we'll be born again, a new creation in Christ. So I'm going to give you that opportunity in a moment. Take, take that promise. Let Him give you new life. Let's pray together.